Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen with Starbrand number eight, and Andy with codename Spitfire number 10. What? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> new title. New title. New podcast awesome. host. Wait, no, same <laughs> podcast host. Still has Spitfire in the name. It's still the same book. Oh, okay. Now with less troubleshooters. Less being zero. Okay. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, so New Universe podcast, right? Um, started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window. Real-time progress and reasonably, perhaps cinematically realistic technology, physics, sometimes astronomy and biology. <laughs> Um, eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1986, and now as the stories progress to 87, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except a few secret agencies. Uh, of course, codename Spitfire doesn't have any paranormals. Um, uh, with our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite and stick with that one. Um, we have a website, kickersinc.com, uh, until Disney takes it away from us. Uh, we have a sweepstakes going on where you can win a free run of Kickers Inc. Uh, just answer some questions as they appeared in the early runs of the comics. A new contest coming soon, as we say. Um, we also have a slogan contest. So, you know, drop us a name uh, or drop us a slogan uh, to use for our podcast and uh, we'll read it on the air and, you know, we will judge you harshly or no, not harshly. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter at Kickers Inc. And there's a unaffiliated Facebook fan page of the Marvel Comics New Universe fans. Uh, which maybe you already belong to. Always uh, good to hear, see what's going on over at our fr friends at the uh, Facebook fan page. Yeah, um, I was getting spoiled though. So, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, they're, they're very supportive. So, this week I'll be covering Starbrand. Every man Ken Connell was given a power called the Starbrand under mysterious circumstances. Wanting to help others, but also afraid to expose himself, Connell struggles to grow up and find use for the brand's unlimited power while dating many, many available women. Starbrand's publishing schedule went bi-monthly after number six, and it has just lost its original creative team. So this week, um, Starbrand number eight, Ken Connell befriends a terminally ill boy. What can Ken do to help the dying boy, knowing that his Starbrand powers cannot save him? Written by Kerry Bates, penciled by Earl Jones, inked by Danny Bulanati. Or shorter version, uh, that was just from uh, Marvel Age, and this is from the New Universe checklist itself. Uh, to grant a dying boy his last request, Ken Connell must reveal the secret of the star brand. Oh, man. <laughs> Wait, does he even know the secret of the star brand? Is he being like, you know, tell us the secret of the star brand or we'll kill this kid? <laughs> Dip him in a barrel of chemicals. <laughs> yeah, interesting. The, 
previous a couple of marvel ages ago maybe made a big deal about how roy thomas was going to take over star brand but clearly that did not happen yeah yeah i was just looking back over that it was um, the issue that said that one of the new universe was going to die on the cover um yeah. there's a lot of uh like things that we've seen come to happen in the in the titles or like in motion but yeah the roy thomas takeover did not uh happen to our yeah anyway so uh for my book uh i'll be covering the brand new title uh codename spitfire Ooh, that's where <laughs> erase the troubleshooters from your mind <laughs> They're definitely not being killed by that crazy guy back in Boston at a moment's notice. No, they don't exist. Uh, <laughs> Professor Jenny Swenson stole and then destroyed her father's advanced Max Farmer, uh, briefly went to prison and finally got herself shanghaied by a mysterious intelligence agency. She's still Spitfire and now she has a code name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this week, code name Spitfire number 10, Jenny Spitfire Swenson, <laughs> turning into Cy Force, uh, disappears, and the mysterious club wants to know where she went. The new title is the first clue in the new direction for the series. Written by Carrie Bates. This is Carrie Bates Week. Uh, penciled by Alan Kupperberg, in- inked by Tony DeZuniga. Um, or the short version a new title, a new direction, and all new thrills. Oh. Ooh. Sounds like I'm ready to watch a TV show. Oh, yeah. We're still a little mixed up here because I don't think the club shows up in issue 10, really, other than the briefest of mentions. So. Yeah, brief mention is, I don't know, yeah. That, that's about as far as we get into the club now. Unless the club is, in fact, backed by the Russian government. <laughs> Probably not. It seemed like a bunch of rich white dudes, Americans. But eh. yeah, the club is more like 24 would always like start off with conflict with like a Russian or a Chinese or something and or a Middle Eastern terrorist and end up with like some rich European who is pulling the strings behind several layers of conspiracy. Yeah. It's a bit like that, I think. One can hope. We still don't really know anything about the club. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's missed. We've missed a couple of uh, chances to to play it up with like there was a senator who was in you know trying to help Jenny for a minute there and like if he was like an ag- secret agent of the club or I don't know yeah. Um. Anyway, don't we'll also be uh, discussing the uh, Hollywood casting. I think this is our last week of that. Ah, that's true. Yes, I almost forgot. And that's a good one, too. So we will count down to our simultaneous reveal where Andy and I both think we have like the perfect Ken Connell cast. Right. And only I am right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's see, move on to uh, our first book, Starbrand number eight. So. As we said, Starbrand had had gone uh, bi-monthly, so it's coming out every other month with Spitfire at this point. And uh, we've just had another skip and are now back with number eight, which is cover dated July 87, 
probably hit the newsstands April 14th, 1987. And uh, as you'll recall, there was the big um, final issue of the shooter slash John Remeter Jr. Uh, creative team, last issue, um, final perhaps confrontation with the old man, final breakup with one of his girlfriends. Um, and as we'll see, this is feels more like like a fill-in issue that had been prepared ahead of that time, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's got the, like, we'll go somewhere, you know, new, so you don't have, like, the familiar cast. And the way they talk about uh, some of their status quo feels like issue five to six, uh, more than, like, after seven. So, um. Be prepared for that, folks. Yeah, that's a good catch. That does make a little more. You know what sense. I mean? Like, you, if you had a couple of these sitting in the drawer, you know, maybe this was one you could throw out there at any time. You know, it, the uh, the cover starts uh, us off with a nice. Uh, I was just saying, uh, Chippendale's dancer pose with Ken and his shirt ripping off, hefting a couple of bottles or canisters those like big barrels yeah um, with uh toxic uh sign on it danger toxic um and the the caption is nuclear nightmare oh man oh that sounds great yeah it says uh one of these things says danger may contain radioactive material and another one chemical core isherwood chemical isherwood chemical core there we go (laughs) Good work from Jeff Isherwood. Um, it's it's a <laughs> nice sort of action pose. Um, I can't believe he he hates these barrels so much. But <laughs> he does look really angry at these barrels. The Steve Martin movie where like he really hates these cans. Deep dive there. Uh, let's see. Going inside, we have the splash page, which is uh, Ken holding his motocross motorcycle up and uh working on uh, fixing a tire or something so it's kind of he's kind of balancing it on his shoulder i guess while he's working on it which is uh partly showing how strong he is um although it's a little awkward too yeah it looks a little impractical but i'm happy to see that he still has his motorcycle in his living room (laughs) (laughs) he's doing mechanical repairs like on his rug so um duck is uh sort of seated on the rug underneath him. And uh, yeah, this is his living room. The uh, creative team, again, is uh, new. Carrie Bates, writer, our friend from uh, long uh, several issues of uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Irvel Jones, penciler, and Denny Bulanati, uh, inker. And as we're recording this, we've just uh, heard that... Uh, Mr. Bulinati passed away a couple weeks ago, so his work lives on. I don't know. That's true. The uh, the title of the story, The Brand of a Hero. And we start off with the uh, or some of our uh, favorite moments probably of the series are the uh, Ken and Duck uh, conversations we've had in the past. But this time, uh, Ken is talking about, um, for me, it's the open road, Deb. And I want to get away from everything else. Nothing else even comes close. 
But Kenny, couldn't you just fly around in the sky for a while? Um, it's so, a good point, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember, don't tell your girlfriend or one of your girlfriends your superpowers or you'll never hear the end of it. Um, story moves on. So apparently Ken's... Uh, car shop has closed down for a week or so and he's got uh, some time to kill and so he's thinking of going out for a road trip uh, solo on his motorcycle um, so but D- Duck uh, d- you know digs a little deeper Kenny why don't you tell me what's gotten you feeling so down Whack. <laughs> <laughs> did you and Barb have a fight or what and uh, Ken's like, not exactly, but it's her, her kids have been driving me crazy. And I don't know. I've been thinking about what we should do. And so, as I said, um, not exactly uh, in continuity with the last issue as Barb had completely thrown him out at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, That's much different than like, there's no way I can compete with Lori and Bobby for Barb's attention, which quite frankly, doesn't make any sense based yeah. on previous issues, but that's whatever. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, like I say, if you your status quo your, it was a couple issues ago, this would be um, pretty reasonable to sort of fit in. And uh, so that continues. You can't talk about me that way, Kenny. I always pay attention to you. Uh, you're right, Duck. And uh, she continues to ask to like do his laundry and stuff. She's a little more needy even here. So like, you know, the the you know, it's a little uh, it's a little off. But you know, okay, new writer. I'm, I don't want to nitpick you here. So, but Ken's like, I I don't know how long I'll be. I could be maybe the whole week off with the Kawasaki and open road and don't waste your time hanging around and uh, she promises to do his laundry while he's gone it's like, great and uh, out of these Westgate village apartments he's uh, driving and uh, which way to turn I know go north young man 79 north past Newcastle and we see him on the uh, highway with this uh, motocross motorcycle Lake Willem I don't know where that is. Maybe all the way to Erie. So let me just point out here. This is like a 150cc motocross motorcycle, which is not really recommended for going out on the highway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that would be a very comfortable ride. No, and yeah, it's a... um, But anyway, so as the caption tells us, one hour and 57 miles later, so he's getting up close to like Grove City where there's an outlet mall now. But according to the backgrounds as drawn here, he's somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> I don't... They sort of overstate how much, uh, how big the uh, hills are around here, I guess. But uh, he's uh, often the uh, passing up uh, kids in the back of the station wagon and he's thinking about kids and you know, would he and Barb have gotten together if he'd met her before she got uh, 
And it doesn't say she got married before. I never, we never quite cleared that up with Barb. Was she like married and divorced? I don't know. But That's true. Yeah, we don't quite know that for sure. So he's thinking like, would uh, maybe we could have started a family? Barb's a couple, let's say five years older than him or something. Um, and as he's thinking about all this stuff about kids and Barb and whatever, he gets a blowout. And it's like, there's like a cliff right off the uh, the road where he's at. And he thinks to himself, well, I, I haven't lost stability just yet if I can make the guardrail. And he goes right through it. Clearly and... made out of balsa wood. <laughs> All right. It's like a um, what an insane jump you get in uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, <laughs> I just, so you just wish he was, I mean, he's kind of like cruising over. You get a long shot, but you kind of wish he was like, leaning back out of the seat and like throwing the devil horns like Woo, yeah. <laughs> adventure time starts now <laughs> Woo. yeah he's uh so he's in the like uh, bicycle motorcycle helmet and uh jack and everything so he's pretty well covered uh so if any of the cars see him they they're not uh, like oh hey it's you know they're not going to identify him but he does think, like, oh, if the cars are watching me, uh, I don't want to be too flashy. So he he's sort of making himself fly and hold the motorcycle as he goes down and is kind of winding himself down into the trees. because There's a lot of trees there. But he's uh, getting close and to the, closer to the ground, and he hits a branch with his front tire. And uh, now, once he gets further into the woods, he's like, okay, now I don't have to worry about anyone seeing me fly, so I can just set down that clearing ahead. Easy does it on the landing. There we go. And he's like, oh, great. One blowout in the rear tire, and he mangled the front in his tree. And hey, there's a kid who just saw him flying. What? <laughs> hey. Huh? I guess you found out these woods aren't much good for bike riding, huh? Uh, he's like, oh, great, that's all I need. Some Boy Scout. <laughs> he's like... Kid over here stating the obvious. Yeah, it could be worse. If he showed up a few seconds earlier, I'd have to come up with an explanation of how a bike can fly or kill him. <laughs> Kid introduces himself. I'm Tad Selby. The name's Ken. Ken Connell. You're pretty old there, Ken. You can just call yourself Mr. Connell like a, like a normal grown-up would do at this point. But anyway. So what are you doing out here anyway? My folks live out that way uh, about a half mile. My dad's real good at fixing our tractor, so maybe he could uh, help you. Well, thanks for offering. And uh, they walk back to the farm that they're, the, this Tad lives at. And then sort of fast-forwards to... Uh, Ted's father um, putting his uh, can his wheel into a vice and working on it. Well, Ken's talking to him. Yeah, I'm kind of undecided about my long term future. And and as Ted's father says, kind of cracks me up. Seems to be a lot of that going around these days, Ken, especially with you baby boomers. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> It felt really weird to read that Ken Connell was a baby boomer. 
Yeah, it's technically um, he's right on the edge. I got to say, like is like mm. 61 or so. Ken was supposedly born about then. And that's supposedly the dividing line between baby boomer and Gen X. So, yeah, somewhere in the early 60s. But uh, yeah, you contemporarily, we think of baby boomers as retirees. So yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, it's all right. Baby boomer is just a social construct. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's, very influential uh, demographic there, but true. Unless you're Ken Connell, neither influential in his own book or uh, was his book particularly influential. So he continues talking. Uh, hey, you really do know your bites, Mister Selby. Yeah, yeah. Ted, you, Ted used to uh, do a lot of uh, writing before he came down with secret thing. Hey, Ken, let's go outside and play some baseball. Yeah, you go on outside, Ken. Something uh, Mr. Selby doesn't want to talk about. But uh, Ken heads out with Tad, and they throw a baseball around for a few minutes. And uh, Ken's okay with kids. So, and suddenly, Tad, you okay? It's nothing. I just need to lie down for a while. That's all. Uh, that's a good idea, son. His father chimes in. Maybe you should take a nap. So we'll fast forward again to uh, Ken talking to his parents alone while Ted is resting. And they're telling him that the groundwater in the county has been contaminated with toxic wastes for years. Birth defects in the county have been 10 times the national average. And Tad is part of that because he is born with a congenital heart defect. Doctors say it doesn't matter how much or how little he exerts himself. One day his heart will just give out. There won't be any warning. And it's all because of Axco. Axco. Axco, the uh, demonic uh, supervillain from the Marianas Trench. He has come to the takeover. No, I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> what? Thinking of Namor there or something. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> like I'm, uh, you know, maybe we ought to jazz things up in the new universe a little bit more. I think Axco is just the the uh, cover corporation for Isherwood Chemical, though. <laughs> One is definitely a subsidiary of the other. Axco, the company that owns the factory that's been polluting the the county. It, you're like an hour outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, like it's totally a whole watershed, probably. Yeah. Um, Notice yeah, the well, mom's kind of dressed in like Little House on the Prairie gear, too. Yeah, it's like, are they uh, Mennonites? No, I don't think so, because he's got a mechanical repair. But yeah, she's definitely like um, a little old-fashioned uh, dress there. So the... Exco's the company that's been polluting them. They've tried uh, like a class action lawsuit, and Ken's pretty cynical already. Oh, let me guess. Exco's lawyers tie it all up in court. Yep, that's right. Um, so they they hired specialists who tell them that the county water was contaminated by defective canisters. Canisters in that landfill that had been seeping toxic waste into our groundwater for years. 
and uh, other children have been dying. And uh, is there anything we can do about Tad? No, no. We've tried all the doctors already, Ken. Tad's condition is inoperable. We could lose him any day now. So we just try to take it one day at a time. But are they, are they drinking the water? <laughs> um, Drink up, Ken. Yeah, it comes straight out of the tap. Um, so anyway, so they they're, they need some help on the farm. And uh, they've got like a cousin who's coming in a few days. And Ken's like, look, I can just you know stay f- until then. And, uh, you know, thanks for the dinner and meeting Ted. And I'll just help out on the farm and uh, to try to make up for all that you've done for me. And uh, they're like, yeah, that'd be great. Tad would be happy to have you around, too. Yeah, Ken really just wants to do anything to avoid Duck at this point. Yeah, wow. I could go home to my beautiful girlfriend, or I could help this farmer out. Ah, man, I I mean, yeah, he's... uh... (laughs) Yes. So the next day, he's uh, riding out with Tad in uh, the woods on his uh, motorcycle. And uh, Ted's talking about um, when he used to ride, but uh, I thought it was pretty good, but uh, I'd, I couldn't fly like you can, Ken. Huh? <laughs> I was there, Ken. I saw you. You were flying. Oh, no. He did see me. He knew all along. Should have killed him when I had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> see, now his parents know you're hanging out with him, so he can't just disappear. I don't know. I mean, he could drop at any moment. Isn't that what the parents said? He'd make it look like an accident. <laughs> oh, sorry, Pa. Tad didn't make it back from our bike ride. I don't know how to tell you to this. But... So he's, he's thinking to himself, well, nothing, but he's like, um, because Tad keeps talking, he's like, uh, show me how your flying bike works, would you? He's like, ah, the bike. Yes, I'll show you how the bike works. Um, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I could do that. I could convince him it's the bike, and he'd never have an inkling of the truth. Oh, you know, the poor kid probably won't leave to live to see his next birthday, and you're patting yourself on the back for coming up with a way to pull the wool over his eyes. Just great, Connell. Shame himself. <laughs> then he quite literally pulls wool over his eyes. <laughs> he uh, takes Ted's uh, stocking hat off, cuts holes for eyes, so it becomes that like pullover mask that uh, Ken likes to wear when he's fighting Middle Eastern terrorists. And uh, he's like, now we can take off. But he leaves the bike there, and he's just taking Ted in his arms. All right, we're taking off, but who needs the bike? Excellent. Hmm. You know, I, I think that the ski mask, okay, like the mask that covers your whole face, but the hole for the eyes and mouth is, is probably like a really 80s thing, isn't it? Uh, it kind of died out after that. Yeah, I mean, I never see it anymore. You're right. I remember um, having one when I was a kid, but then like all the movies, that was what you'd use to rob a bank or a convenience store kind of thing. So I think that's kind of perhaps why they fell out of favor. You think they didn't like 
discourage manufacturing those items, <laughs> which obviously are easily adaptable from other stocking caps. Mm. I don't know. I got to say is like a comic book, like super character, like disguise. It's really dissatisfactory, you know? To oh, totally. Uh, yeah, it just gave me vibes of uh, running around as a kid with, a, a, you know, I had a ski mask, but obviously just, it was kind of uncomfortable and like wearing it for winter. Uh, but also like a garage full of toy guns that looked re- semi-realistic. So the 80s, the good old days. So he's, uh, they ride over a farm with the tractor um tad has been to epcot center i guess and compares it this experience favorably um this is out of sight ken but we can make some smoke up here oh you want to see some speed zooms around pretty fast and tad immediately was about to be sick (laughs) so they land and uh at a wrecking yard or something and uh tad recovers Hey, you lift that bumper like it doesn't weigh a thing. Ken goes immediately back to his old bumper move. Oh, yeah. Like the one thing he's always doing is fixing bumpers. But uh, he's like, uh, bending a bumper, no, that's no thing, but compressing it to like a sandwich. Now that takes some real strength. Awesome. Cad's really excited by all this. He's like, how can you do it? And uh, Ken actually, you know, tells him the whole truth. I'm just a guy who works in an auto shop, kid. But you see, uh, a while back, I got stuck with a power I didn't ask for. Power forced on me by an old man from outer space. Make it sound pretty creepy when you put it that way, Ken. Yeah, it doesn't. it's not quite right. Um. And he's like, power that emanates from right here. And his brand is on his palm. Oh, what's that? It's a star brand. Did they actually call it that before? I don't know that they ever did. Like the brand or something, but the star brand. I don't know. It kind of looks like a star. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. It's the source of all my, uh uh-oh, get the mask on. They see some uh, local uh, junkyard dudes. Yeah, they're like the junkyard guys. Dwayne, do you see that? And uh, Ken and Tad have gone into a junked car to, to make their getaway, and the car is now apparently flying at the um, the guys. Uh, what? Ken, you're just too much. He's flying underneath the car, and Tad's like supposedly driving. So it looks a bit like uh, what is it? The opening to Harry Potter two. You know, the kids in the car flying around. Yeah, so much for being careful about your uh, showing people your powers. I'm like, let's get in this wrecked car and fly it around instead of you know flying over the fence real quick. Yeah, I I don't know. They did. They, very uh, selective in who you uh, show this to, I guess. Um, so we flash back to a um, TV news report about how Axco's um, still got this landfill in, in their county. And you see sort of a trench that's filled with 
barrels seeping something out of them. And uh, there's been a public outcry for Axco to remove the canisters of toxic waste that have been plaguing the county, but um, studies have shown very intense heat can reduce most toxic materials to harmless steam. And Axco has been pressured to join the other local industries. Again, this is in the middle of the country, which have begun shipping their toxic waste to the new incineration plant outside Wheeling. Okay. West Virginia. <laughs> but anyway, actually that's South of, uh, of Pittsburgh. So kind of going in the other direction there, but that does t- in the, in the real world, that tends to be the kind of thing that ties these things up. It's like, you know, okay, we need to ship this to the incinerator, but you know, the counties in between, you know, don't want to allow the transport or something like that. Yeah. Okay. But I think I, it's kind of hilarious that this chemical corp is like, Hey, well, they got these barrels sitting here that are clearly <laughs> leaking. There's an incinerator in the next town over but they don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's protests outside of, um, and uh, like this, you see that uh, Ken and uh, Tad are at home watching this on TV. And Tad's like, oh, mom and dad and all our neighbors are outside this chemical plant protesting. And Ken's thinking to himself, up against a penny-pinching industrial giant like Axco, they won't even make a dent. Tad asks him, I don't understand it, Ken. Why can't Axco just do what's right? A big corporation makes all those millions, and they won't spend the money to do what's right. Just beat it a little harder there, Tad. <laughs> anyway, Tad uh, then drives the nail home. You could do it, Ken. You could make a difference. You could make things right. You and your star brand. You have the power, just like my favorite comic book heroes. And he grabs a couple of comic books. And I think we've got Daredevil and Thor. Thor is pretty clear. I assume Daredevil on the other one, but it's pretty hard to read. No, actually, yeah. I can see it in another. It, uh, yeah. The second panel, yeah. The, uh, they use their strange powers to help people like us, to go after bad guys like those Axco creeps. I bet you could fly over there and look around you, kid. This isn't a comic book we're living in. Irony alert. <laughs> this is the real world where you get arrested for taking the law into your own hands. Nobody cares if you're wearing a mask and a cape or leather tights. And even if I manage to get away... Once people know about the star brand and it becomes public knowledge, I'll be a public menace. I'll be hunted down. The rest of the world will call me a freak. Is that what you want to happen, kid? I thought you were my friend. Wow. Bite his head off there. (laughs) Slight overreaction by Ken there. I'm going to bed now, Ken. See you in the morning. Dropped his comics on the ground. He doesn't care about anything anymore. Dad, I, I didn't mean that. I know you're my friend. It's okay, Ken. I was sort of spacing out. It all happened because I lost fantasy and reality more than a little mixed up. You can see this pile of pills by his bedside. Um, anyway, good night, Ken. If you ever get tired of the star brand, could you give it to me? You'll be right there at the top of my list, kid. Hmm. So his parents... 
Ted's parents come home and they're like, oh, poor, poor Ken. He's standing outside thinking to himself and he must have a lot on his mind as one troubled young man. So Ken's thinking to himself, uh, you know, he has all this power, but when it comes to the simple task of mending a 10-year-old kid's defective heart, I'm powerless to make a difference. Powerless. Some hero I am. It's really more the way you uh, bite people's heads off when they try to give you constructive criticism that makes you a bad person, Ken. But... Yeah, like these parents have like a 10-year-old kid that could die at any moment, and they're feeling bad for Ken standing out in the yard. It's like, <laughs> it's... Come on. It's like, oh, he's really got a tough go of it. He doesn't know what to do with his life. Oh, you had so much potential, Ken. So much potential. So much potential. So much potential. <laughs> that was like what issue three or four they were like anyway um so when ken gets up there's an ambulance in the driveway and uh, the selbies are like sort of weepy and uh talking about how tad just had a seizure and it's possible he'll be back and uh maybe it's just a little bump but it they they don't understand what tad had drawn on himself with a crayon or pen or something oh a marker to draw it on himself during the night he drew a star brand on himself what was on earth was going through his mind i wonder anyway the uh folks head to the uh hospital with uh, in in the ambulance and no, with the ambulance and uh they leave Ken alone at the farm. He's like, yeah, don't worry. I'll be here. Hold down things. And uh, he wakes up, tell him I'm on my way. But first, I have something important to do. Something for Tad. So he, he's inside and putting on the stocking mask again. Got him. I got to pull it off just right. But I might be seen. The security, Exco security guards will surely try to arrest me. I could be branded a public menace, a freak, but I have to do this for Tad to maybe to prove I'm worthy of the star brand, but am I trying to prove it to him or myself? Hmm. So he takes off and uh, the timing of this is that this is the morning, right? Which is, you know, yeah, not a great time to go sneaking around places. But. No. <laughs> Maybe the guards haven't had their coffee yet. I don't know. <laughs> I'm no good for the first uh, couple hours here. But someone wanted to sneak in. This would be the worst time I could uh, ever <laughs> notice. Them. I just don't like beating people with my wooden club that I carry around as a security guard uh, you know, before 8 a.m. So we see uh, Axco, which is nothing but security guards, I guess. There's no actual chemical workers there or anything. The whole thing is a shell company designed to uh, create toxic waste and leave it exposed for uh, groundwater contamination. I think it's Cobra. <laughs> Step three, profit. I <laughs> so uh, they're like, uh, what? I thought I saw a flying man. So Ken uh, jumps into the uh, trench that has all those rotting barrels in it. That way, I saw him fly into the landfill. Someone's following him. 
You could do it. And Ken, Ken is thinking to himself everything Tad had said. You can do it just like a superhero in my comic book. You could do it, Ken. You and the star brand. And Ken, uh, it's a little portrayed a little differently here, but let's assume he's doing what he'd uh, done before with letting the power rise in him, basically. So he's starting to glow up in the middle of all these barrels. And uh, then you get some long shots with the guards, like, get back as things start to blow. And uh, then a real long shot of like a mushroom cloud. <laughs> I think those guards are vaporized. <laughs> Very ominous. Like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if he ever lost control of the star brand or did something wrong with it. Why, it would be a disaster, according to this. A disaster. Anyway, we uh, next panel is a uh, another news report. And since this morning, yeah, morning again, speculation has run high regarding this awesome explosion that detonated on the site of the Axco dump, toxic dump site. Axco spokesmen have refused to release any information. Certainly no government investigations, right, Mr. Uh, payoff? Uh, I mean, uh, government <laughs> regulator? No, no investigations necessary. Thank you, Axco, for... Anyway, the uh, TV uh, continues... Our uh, cameras clearly reveal there's no, uh, all the toxic waste canister, canisters were vaporized, incinerated by the explosion in estimable heat. And the, uh, as a result, the EPA says they all can, it will conduct a full investigation to all the Exco chemicals operation. Oh, putting chemists out of work. Thanks, EPA. <laughs> They didn't care about the obvious leaking barrels that were already on the news. They but dollar late, well, and day late, and a dollar short. There, yeah. Anyway, um, so they the Ken is at the hospital uh, bedside with Cad, and uh, it's them watching this. And uh, Ken's like, oh, "This will put them out of business. All those chemists will be back on the picket line." And uh, Ted continues, yeah, right and wrong in real life will never be as simple as it is in my comic books. But this one time we didn't do too bad, did we? Not too bad at all, kid. Now, you can take care of yourself. I'll drop in again soon, my friend. Count on it. So long, hero. I'll be watching the skies for you. And he talks to uh, Ken talks to his dad on the way up. Well, whatever God has in store for Tad from here on out, Sarah and I are grateful he lived long enough to make a friend like you. It's <laughs> oh. uh, high point of the kid's life is meeting random stranger. It's like reading the Gospels, but it's with Ken as the central figure. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Ted already kind of talks like he's a like freshman psych major or something. <laughs> yes. Um, and but anyway, oh, is, I'm curious that brand shaped like a star that Tad drew on his palm. He never did tell us what it was for. Let's just say that brand of his taught me a lot about the true meaning of courage and compassion, Mister Selby. Maybe I should be the one who's grateful for being lucky enough to make a friend like him. And he hears again the quote. So long, hero. I'll be watching the skies for you. And it's a great, like, long shot of Ken on the motorcycle on the highway 
with the star brand superimposed on him. <laughs> Barf. The <laughs> 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 oh, corniest endings of all. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got to admit, this is one thousand percent like a tv show script of like yeah. incredible hulk or something where you wander into town and you have a crisis of conscience and you're eventually talked into doing something you didn't want to do or guilted into it by an innocent kid or something <laughs> and uh yeah the uh comic i keep wanting to say comic book company that produced this the chemical company axco um it I wouldn't call it cartoonish supervillainry, but it's close to that because it's. Uh, oh come on! Like once, once they were like, "There's this incinerator right here," but they just <laughs> don't want to send it to them because gas money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, partly that's setting up that yeah, Ken's incredible heat will just break it down into harmless stuff and all that. But I understand that part, but yeah, it does become like. There, there's just no like Axco spokesman, so it just becomes so depersonalized. At least yeah. in a TV show, you'd have like a mustache twirling villain. And, I'm not going to pay for this. <laughs> you can't prove anything. <laughs> All these toxic wastes could have come from anywhere. Yeah. They're literally the same chemicals that are produced in your factory. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh. Um Oh, and once you destroy the barrels, your groundwater is still full of this stuff, right? So it'll be another 10 years before it works its way out of the... Uh... This is true. Yeah, I mean, that was a real that was a, a real issue. Um, I mean, it wasn't until like 1970s that we even had the EPA, right? It's like 1971. Nixon, so, I think, yeah. So there, there wasn't a lot of, you know, regulation and such. But I think the... So these kind of situations absolutely happened, but it was usually like, it's really hard to prove that the pollution really was causing the harm. And also, you know, the companies would generally tend to get in trouble, you know, just by not wanting to admit fault, you know, like, you know, like oh, well, you know, that happened with this other company before we sold it. And mm. you know, so issues are usually a little more complex than company does not care about the town its pollution its own public image you know like they would have they would have shipped that stuff or buried it or did something you know if you've got uh, all this news coverage and and protest and stuff just to at least fix their public image but yeah it was yeah it's it it's kind of fun <laughs> it's i mean it's 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 a very like 70s 80s like problem and solution you know the you know, you, you would get these stories of these guys just dumping toxins into, you know, some hidden uh, countryside or, or creek or something, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's um, usually not like on the site of the factory itself to make things less obvious. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a story. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it just, like I said, it has fill-in quality, um, fill-in issue qualities of being sort of disconnected from, you know, your continuity, sort of putting you in another place and giving you a random character you don't expect to actually see again. Um, and a problem that you can deal with uh, rapidly. I think it it's 
it's trying to be a little too cute with the irony of like, oh, you can't have a comic book solution to things, you know, and all that. Um, what? Except, except they do. Except they do. So I don't know. I, I, mean, I love the end where he's like, I'll see, I'll drop by to see you again. You count on it. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're never going to see this kid. We, we will never see Tad again. I'm <laughs> sure of it. Right. <laughs> it just, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> if, uh, I will eat my words gladly if Cad ever shows up again. Yeah, um, that would that would be funny. Ken, there was a big explosion in Pittsburgh. What what happened? Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's overall it's not like badly done, you know. Other than being kind of uh, a well well trod ground at this point, so. Yeah, I think it's just jarring for me coming from the first seven, which were kind of like carefully crafted and kind of tell a story. And was it real thoughtful about, you know, Ken and Powers and, you know, did a nice job, uh, you know, kind of with his struggle with what to do and kind of the choices he makes to like to kind of switch gears from that to like the cartoon issue uh, is a little jarring. Just, yeah for me at least yeah i mean but it's, yeah. it's kind of fun like it's just you know in a goofy kind of read sort of way it's just not what i'm used to from the first seven yeah it's like the first seven as like a like a movie or something and then this is like the <laughs> tv show based on that movie where they just sort of you know everything's sort of lighter and kind of very surface level yeah um, so yeah that's I don't know. I'm like I mean, the Mr. I, T I, cartoon. <laughs> You'll never get the true depth. Of tea. Um, I don't know. I was thinking B minus as a, a fairly generous grade. Uh, I mean, it's not like distinctly off the rails, but it's, you know, it's definitely a step down from where we were before. Yeah. I, I it's been happening more and more lately. It was just kind of like the first read of this. I was like, <laughs> but uh, I've come to appreciate it more again, more in this. This is in the so bad. It's good category. I think if nothing else, um, just with its kind of cheesiness. So uh, best I can give it is a C. Mm, okay. Let's see. Uh, now we get down to the fun part. The real important stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'd uh, the who would we cast as a um, actor for the Hollywood version of Starbrand, and they went straight to uh, John Romito Jr. Yeah, yes, they did. Yeah, JRJR's response floored both Andrew and myself. <laughs> yes, I did not expect this choice. You want to say it or do you want me to? I'll say it. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> yeah, Dolph is, uh, it's hard to remember now, but he was a, actually a, um, well, he always had sort of just one character, I guess. But um, He was apparently like a, a chemical engineer or something. So he's not a, um, goofball in real life but he his characters have been 
gone from like the evil Russian in Rocky three or four or Drago to um, I don't know various B movies and he's well he's large I don't think he's quite the physique I expect for Ken Connell who's kind of more light and uh, I always think of Ken as having this sort of long face and like big nose as well for whatever that's worth yeah are you setting up your pick? Yes, uh, perhaps I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Dolph, I definitely remember Dolph. It would be in like, you know, more of those direct-to-video kind of action movies of the 80s. You know, felt... For me as a kid, even a lower rung than the now total joke of humans, Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme, who would like, you know, usually have a pretty solid bad 80s action movie kind of thing, or 90s even. But yeah, Dolph would be in the ones that were even less well-known, I think. Yeah, we had Reb Brown for Mr. Magnificent and uh, this for Ken Connell. And both of those are kind of, you just, yeah, lunkhead is the word I would use for those two <laughs> uh, as their screen portrayals. I mean, nice guys in real life and everything, but uh, sure. Um, yeah, I don't get Dolph. I mean, he's big, but he's actually not as tall, I think. And like I said, I don't think of Ken as like a muscle guy. I, the Chippendales cover uh, aside. You know, that's, that's <laughs> he does look like super jacked in that front cover. <laughs> I mean, he's like a guy who's in shape, but not like a muscle bound oaf, which is kind of what we're getting there. But anyway. So, uh, yeah, so let's see. Shall we go with uh, our reveals for our own picks? Yeah. Okay. Mine is a guy named John Corbett. John, okay. The name I know, the face. It'll take you a second. He's uh, apparently 6'5". So I got this from looking up tall actors. Uh, okay. in, uh, um, oh, yeah. He was known in, um, he got a role in Northern Exposure was a TV show a couple of years later. That's that's what I know him from the most, yeah. But he played like, you know, hunky boyfriends in My Big Frat Greek Wedding and Sex and the City. He was one of um, Carrie's boyfriends, I think. So, so he's good looking, he's tall, and he's kind of, you know, reasonably like normal uh, physique. So mm. that's my my pick. See, I, I ignored the tall aspect. You know, that's the key aspect of Ken's personality. I think because it's it's mentioned, you know, but it's not really like important to the story that he's well, particularly tall. It's true that like in Hollywood, you're always like like you can just have like the close up of the conversation, and like the other person can be standing on a box. So you know you. you you don't always feel like you have a good uh, feeling for how tall various actors are. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise, are... you're a tall guy, right? No, you are not a tall guy at all. No. Yeah. Had John Corbett been doing, had been, had he been acting? Uh, it's uh, like his first role was like around then in a bit part. So, okay. But he is born in 61. So, he so is yeah, the age fits. Uh, well, okay. I think I can beat that. Okay. So, so thought of it pretty immediately, and I think it, I think the face suits uh, 
John Romita Jr.'s art pretty well. Also, somebody who would be well-known at the time, so you could command a uh, box office a little bit. I'm, I'm, I said Kevin Bacon. Oh, I think Ken Connell and Kevin Bacon. I think that works. That is not bad. Yeah, good actor. He's kind of smooth. He's good looking. I think he looks a little bit like Ken. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's the okay. right age too. He was not a teen then. He's born in the sixties as well. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think of him as a couple years younger than that. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he's. Oh, 58. Yeah, yeah. He's a couple. Yeah. So he would have been available. Yeah. You're right. That's a good uh, age and uh, box office draw at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in 1987, he starred in the film Whitewater Summer. <laughs> he had, uh, I, I was trying to think of this the other day, Quicksilver. He was like a bicycle messenger or something. Yep. Yeah, I tried looking up some of his films, but like none of none of my streaming services have them for free. <laughs> Height five ten. Uh, uh. <laughs> Corbett is six five. Yeah, most of the like tall actors are actually like athletes who went into acting. Mm. Ugh, nice. I also uh, messed around, gave came up with some uh, proposals for the uh, supporting cast there. What you got? Well, I always uh, like to think of Ducky as Annie Potts. She was uh, the girl in Pretty in Pink who wasn't Molly Ringwald. She's a little uh, punked out sometimes in uh, those early things. And she's okay. got that kind of, She's on the track to having a squeaky voice. Although, to be honest, I'm usually doing more of an Arlene Galanka in as uh, Harley Quinn in Batman the Animated Series when I do my duck voice <laughs> hey mr j yeah okay i could see that but um any pots was uh, you know sort of a lot of like smaller roles but uh very cute and has like kind of uh girl next door cute yes and then for barb i was gonna go with sybil shepherd okay Moonlighting, she's about 35, and Bruce Willis is like 29 when it starts. So it's she's in the like Barb ballpark, I think. There. And she already made an appearance in one of uh, Nightmask's dream sequences, right? That's right. Um, she's been around since the 70s, so well known. Um, Myron, I I had like a, this like bit player Eddie Deason. Oh, I think you could have made him like Woody Allen or something. Yeah, Woody, he's a little too on the nose for Woody <laughs> Allen. And I think Woody'd be like fifty at that point or something. Yeah. Um, possible, but um, I mean, he wouldn't have taken the job. But the old man was like, for some reason, um, I. I was thinking of a uh, Donald Sutherland when he does like the, the Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Yeah. When he's got like long hair and beard, I think that's like perfect for what the old man looks like. But uh, the age time thing isn't really good there. So I don't know if there's like another 
80s more appropriate guy for it but that uh, Sutherland face seems like a, a good fit for it yeah that works for me yeah unfortunately yeah he's a little old and then like Kiefer is a little young at the time so well, it's okay for him to be older but yeah yeah well, to be the old man I, I was I was thinking for for uh for Ken himself though. oh I see yeah Anyway, that's um, right. He's tall, but he's yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's enough uh, Hollywood talk. Uh, next next episode, we'll spend time reading the super hunks. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's take a break, and we'll. Think of some more dreamy 80s celebrities and uh, come back with Codename Spitfire. All right. Welcome back, uh, back and time to talk about Codename Spitfire number 10, uh, which makes me feel like I've really accomplished something because we're in the number 10s, like that big round number. We're starting to cover the 10th issue of all of these books, you know, star brand notwithstanding. We've See? made quite a uh, journey so far, yes. Put a dent in it for sure. Um, so yeah, Codename Spitfire number 10, uh, July 10th, 87, uh, I'm sorry, July 87, issue 10, uh, is the cover date, uh, and then probably came out April 14th, 87. Um, and so if we remember in Codename Spitfire, um, and we sort of recap this a little bit in the beginning, uh, Jenny hasn't been around the troubleshooters in a while, a handful of them <laughs> died or were injured, Um and she was captured by government agency of some mystery, uh, kind of tortured and coerced and, you know, tried to lie to her using her father's computer generated image on some VHS tapes. Um, but basically, instead of sending her back home, they dumped her with Jake Travis on a plane and kind of forced them to jump out of the plane and land in Afghanistan for reasons. Uh, so not the kindest, gentlest of government agencies as far as things go. But definitely not the club, right? Yeah, I thought it was the club. <laughs> Maybe it still is. <laughs> it's yeah. Maybe Let's that, that would be a great twist. So I don't think it's the case, but anyway, so our, our cover, uh, so we got our new title, um, you know, fresh out of Adobe Illustrator in 1990, codenamed Spitfire. You know, kind of this neat angular look to it. Um, image is just a guy jumping out of a tree on top of the max unit, basically. Um, one thing of note, though, too, is, is in our uh, corner box on the top left, you know, where we usually have an image of one of the characters, we have um, the new Spitfire suit, which is definitely different looking. It's a lot more rounded. It looks a little more aggressive. And uh, we have not seen it in the comic book yet. So 
So no no clue or no hints towards a new Max armor. I just call it the Spitfire suit. Uh, uh it's it's yeah. all mixed up, but but yeah, so it, it's coming. Yeah, they've been promising us the new Spitfire suit for like six issues now. So <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. It's not in this issue. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the max armor that they're jumping on is kind of an older, rougher version, I guess. Yeah, real blocky, like the kind of robot you would draw when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so immediately we, we pick up from last issue, you know, even before we get the kind of title page in the comic. And, you know, last issue they landed, uh, somehow perfectly met up with some Afghan freedom fighters kindly people uh, on horses what are those finger quotes doing there <laughs> but uh they were immediately ambushed by some suits of max armor um so uh, they were trying to escape and kind of one of them popped up and surprised them and we pick up right right where we left off with there where they're basically falling off the horse uh we get some narration first time i was thrown off a horse it was a pony on my father's farm in vermont and i was six years old i cried this time i'm fighting for my life on a rainy night in afghanistan uh, me jake travis and an afghan freedom fighter named danjeet um but yeah so uh thrown right into the action uh notably the max armor was yellow last issue and now it's red so mm, yeah I would have thought they'd throw some desert camo on these things or something, but got the big, bold red color. So you'll remember, like, we had an issue before that had, you know, we'd ended on a, like, countdown, and then the next month they start up, like, a month later. And it felt like the writers had been told, you know, oh, make sure every every issue push a month ahead, and, you know, you can go back and recap things. So this is, you know, one of the few times we actually get like a moment later that yeah. the next issue starts. And so they're, they've definitely figured out that you do not need, in fact, to push ahead a month and then go back and talk about whatever happened. That was right. Exciting. Yeah, we had that strange issue where like the assassination of the prime minister ha happened off panel <laughs> or the assassination attempt, right? Well, this will be exciting. Uh, that, that was so exciting. Anyway, let's move on to our own. Yeah, yeah. I think that maybe some had taken the month-to-month uh, -month thing a little too literal, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so but Dad's life work, Max technology, likely that was likely to kill us all. Um, so uh, Jenny Swenson is now basically Indiana Jones, but. So she kind of rolls off the horse, grabs the lasso because he can't ride a horse without a lasso. And you know, Jake, as he's tumbling to land on his head and one which will be of many head injuries <laughs> in this issue, uh, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, she, so she grabs the lasso. She's like, grab the other end. She kind of flings it to him. Um, and she's like, I got an idea. So as, as this Max Armor prototype-ish, you know, Russian Max Armor is, uh, you know, bearing down on them, firing rockets. She's like, you know what to do. And they stand on either side of the path, holding a lasso as if they're going to trip it. Um, he's like, 
what's to stop him from just putting on the brakes? And she says, gravity and momentum. Uh, on an incline steeper than 30 degrees, a max suit in motion is like a runaway train. It can't stop. Well, maybe because of its mass. <laughs> uh, so I kind of joked in the beginning, you know, they try to try for more realistic physics. Uh, you know, this is a failed physics lesson a little bit where they hold a rope to trip this big, heavy max armor that's so big and strong and heavy that it can't stop itself going down an incline. And yet <laughs> this rope held by two people, you know, Jenny's got to be what, like 110, 120 pounds max or something. <laughs> Max, <laughs> but yeah. So even though it fires a rocket at the at the rope, it only frays it, um, and they trip the, the Max suit, and it goes falling down on its face uh, somehow without pulling them along with it. Physics. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I don't know. It's shooting off lasers at some point there. Um, yeah, they don't tie it to anything. There's just barren rocks around them so they're just holding it and there it goes Oops. yeah they have no problem knocking over this you know thousand pound max suit anyway um yeah they say lasers but it, it's quite clearly shooting a missile like a rocket also um and even Thank like it fires it another one up into the sky so like as they've kind of tripped it successfully it's crashed down it kind of whips its arm back and it and it's an explosion in the oh, sky yeah, as if it's yeah. firing rockets. I, I think lasers is a is a writing mistake. Yeah, you're right. That's uh yeah, that it the in the splash it does look like um at first like that's a laser, but you're right, it like flies out and goes boom, so that would be a missile instead. Okay. Yeah. And that, if we fix it from lasers, which the script says to rockets, then that helps us on the uh, physics front too, because these things shouldn't have beam splitter, right? Like that was the big deal, technical advance that the troubleshooter made was this laser beam, you know, technology that we did not have in the 80s. So, you know, the Russians aren't strapping these things filled with experimental fancy technology. It just, it fires rockets out of its arm. It's a little bit more realistic yeah but anyway physics sometimes uh, it matters <laughs> so yeah yeah so we, so we get to the the title page then uh on page three so that is the the shot where they've tripped up the the max suit and our title for this issue is in fact codename spitfire so in case you weren't sure what the code name is there um uh, so, yeah Carrie, it, oh go ahead uh they they so yeah, the title is now the new title for the sh the the comic itself, and the Indisha has it as well. Codename colon Spitfire, Volume One, Number Ten. It is it is almost hard to remember a point where you know it was easier to just renum rename comics than to renumber them. Yeah, completely the reverse of our our current. Yeah, you can't get but like six issues six issues into a Marvel series and they're throwing a new number one at it nowadays. But come back next month when we'll have a new number one with the same exact title, the same exact everything, green mm. team, everything. Yeah, I think even like one book that I do in fact enjoy from an artist I like, you know, they every book in the series is a number one with a slightly new title. It's really annoying. Like, how are you supposed to figure out ten years later what the order is? But anyway. <laughs> yeah 
And it's anyway, not- they didn't do that back in 87, which is nice. Not, we didn't have 16 variant covers of this relaunch of Codename Spitfire either. So, again, I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah. I probably would have bought them. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, cool. New Universe variant covers. Anyway, Carrie, ba- Carrie Bates is also writing this book. Uh, Marshall Rogers is credited for storytelling. So probably um, pencils and combined something. I don't know. So probably worked on more than just pencils and Tony DeZuniga for finishings. Um, I don't really have a good code book for what all of those uh, variations on pencil or an inker mean, but they must've worked together on it. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. I don't remember Rogers being in this before. So this may be like a new creative half team. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I have not peeked ahead. So uh, anyway, yeah, so but... back to the story. Um, the max armor and again the up until this point the slope that the thing is walking on does not actually look very steep uh, but now all of a sudden it's kind of tumbling down the hill and firing as it goes um so again you know, they say it's its arm laser is stuck in fire mode but i kind of like it better if it's just continually shooting rockets off and i think that actually makes more sense for the art um but yeah it's, it's Picture it kind of tumbling down the hill like a stuntman, but this big suit of armor. But then all of a sudden the arm twists and kind of gets trapped underneath it, fires a rocket straight into the chest compartment and kablast. So the whole thing is blown to bits. Um, Jenny in her head narrates, as I watched the suit's violent obliteration, I found myself feeling pity for the Russian soldier whose life was being snuffed out in the blast. True, it was his intent to kill his prey, but instead, he had become his own victim. Ooh. <laughs> was that irony, or is that just too obvious to be irony? <laughs> <laughs> you killed the you killed by the man who was trying to kill and killed himself. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> I like victim... that as it continues here. Yeah, yeah, a victim of. A new technology he could have barely grasped. Wow. Hey, Jenny, just because everyone else is in a PhD from MIT doesn't mean we're all stupid, okay? Yes. <laughs> well, he didn't know that he shouldn't have went down this 30% incline and they wouldn't have been able to stop unless there was a lasso to trip him. You know, the, the suit does not have a lot in the way of feet. Um, it does not. Seems rather top-heavy. But uh, it also uh, used to fly. I don't know if these ones do. But yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's like back when she fought, like the the Max suit version one. I think it was flying, like the other yeah. prototype one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So. But anyway, so she kind of you know, calls back to early. You know, don't know who was to blame. Maybe Dad's old enemy Kratzi, who sold the secrets of the Max to the highest immoral bidder. Maybe the deadly organization calls itself the club who had both my father and Kratzi killed. The ominous implication is unquestionable. My father's max research has fallen into the hands of the Soviets and they were using Afghanistan as a testing ground. Huh. Are you saying that a military industrial type group was using Afghanistan as a testing ground? Like they would... (laughs) sort of occupy it for a long time and then try out their new armor and weapons on them? Yeah. 
That's like weird. they're yeah, like, like <laughs> testing out these stinger missiles that just somehow make it over there, like to be used against sodium uh, Soviet helicopters. Remember, we're not actively fighting someone as long as we just give a lot of weapons to someone who is actively fighting you. Yeah. Our hands are clean. Anyway, yeah. we move on. In, in that way, this comic is basically the plot to a Metal Gear uh, experience, <laughs> but I'll get into that maybe later at the end if I want. But uh, so, so then we get the month jump. Uh, so uh, Jenny... Uh, is sitting there kind of writing, I guess, with some chickens and just kind of hanging out. <laughs> um, but she says it's been nearly three weeks since J- Dan Jeet and his rebel group has taken us in. So, you know, here now we've cut to them and she's been in Afghanistan for a while. Um, you know, again, sort of tricked by Roth. You know, she's starting to figure out that uh, our uh, Jake Travis is kind of a head case. And she kind of starts to detail some of the stories where, you know, he seems like a nice level-headed guy. He gets along with everybody. Until, but other times, uh, like the day he found a thief lurking in our midst, it's downright frightening what comes over him. So he kind of turns scary, a mean-tempered, vicious sadist who seems to derive great pleasure from inflicting pain on others. Force the poor thief to beg for his life. Jenny, they sh- they cut off your hand in this country. You know he's being nice to the guy by their by their standards. <laughs> by the way, the the picture of Jenny on the top of page five really does look like it's been five. It's oh been- yeah, that's true. Like she's got like the, a green headband going on, and her clothes are a little torn. But yeah, the 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 drawing of her face, like she still looks like Jenny. It's a good picture, but yeah, it's like burnt out Jenny. Like <sighs> there's sand everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess she's writing a journal or something uh, as we kind of narrate. Uh, there's a cool panel which also makes me think very video gamey. That's kind of uh, you know half destroyed uh, town. You know the jeep flipped over and there's like a squad of Max armor uh, coming in from uh, the bottom of the panel. You know fighting and killing uh, the freedom fighters, the rebels, uh, the native Afghans. Um, and if you look closely on the bottom right, one of the max armor is like punching the horse in the face, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> this guy goes flying off of it. I did. I really like this page with the. Uh, it's sort of a, a nice uh, bird's eye view of this uh, combat uh, scenario. Yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, it's it's too bad we don't have the visual, but if you do have the comic, you know, page six, there's a guy burning and running. You know. The, flames there's guys on horses and getting blown up and you know maybe a flamethrower coming out of one of the max armors that's pretty cool um but yeah so she's just kind of remembering back you know what this max technology can do right it's kind of you know the the afghans are dying a lot more now that the soviets have this armor that they're fooling around with in the desert um and yeah, you know, again, she's kind of confused or conflicted and not terribly impressed with Jake Travis. Um, but she gets interrupted by random freedom fighter guy. Danjeet wants you to come quick. There's a max suit heading our way. Um, and it's kind of walking up to them. 
Uh, again, the big red blocky Max prototype. And you're like, this thing looks like it's waving at us. And she's like, or oh, it's giving a signal to one of its to its buddies to come in and attack us. <laughs> so she pulls out a rifle. Shoot and first and ask questions later, Swenson at the uh, at the yeah. service. <laughs> uh, the guy's I mean, like, oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. No, go through the next page and then yeah. go back. <laughs> so the the Afghans, you know, you know, bullets don't work on this thing. She's like, not necessarily. You just got to know where to put the bullet. Apparently, she hadn't taught them this th- idea before, but um, she pulls out this long rifle with a scope, basically shoots it right in the neck. <laughs> and it explains later there's an infrared sensor there that, you know, can cause like a cascading failure and just shut down the suit, but she just blasts the thing. Um, it goes down in a big heap. Um, and yeah, so one bullet, if you're Jenny Swenson, can take out one of these Max prototypes. Uh, it, it, to be fair, it, it is just sort of standing there waving. Yeah, um, it's not it's not trying to defend itself. Not suspicious at all. Yeah. Not suspicious at all. But yeah, she takes it down and um, someone starts coming out of the hatch. You know, these models have like a front hatch, like in the stomach rather than, you know, coming out through the top in the head where our uh, Jenny's Max armor had. And uh, she's like, oh, that's, person comes out, speaks English. She's like, yeah, a few more centimeters, that bullet would have nailed me too. You know, so apparently it was Jake Travis in the suit. Uh, he's like, were you aiming to kill me or just maim me for life? And she's like, well, that was dumb. I didn't even know you had left, right? So she didn't even know he was out there, much less was trying to capture a suit. Um, so they're, they're not getting along, uh, which I think is fair. Um, didn't even know you left the camp. How did you even hijack this? And what did you do with the man you displaced? So, you know, throughout the issue, we've got like this kind of running thread where Jenny is kind of feeling bad about what's happening to the Russian soldiers. Mm-hmm. Displaced. Like, um, so, you know, he, he relates that, you know, he, he basically woke up wearing the Mac suit walking back. So, you know, we're, we get a little more clarity with his uh, split personality. They don't really mention Slash Hannigan in this book, um, but previously that was kind I, of... I did finally find it was, it was, the name Slash pops up once. Does it? Uh, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll point it out. When you yeah, thank you. Um, um, I had missed it completely, but like my last read through this morning. Um, the the I just wanted to throw out that like, I mean, yeah, what, what is he supposed to do? Like you, you capture something and you come back and like, she just shoots you no matter how like non-threatening you try to make yourself. It's like, I don't know, man. I would have said he could, he could have came in with the hatch open, you know, kind of like riding it, like, like, Hey, it's me guys. Instead of just kind of walking up. I mean, if they've been, if these things have been like killing them relentlessly for the past month, then the first thing you do when you see one is either going to run or try and fight it, right? So I just remember there was like a Battlestar Galactica where they like capture a Cylon ship and they're coming back like, how are we going to signal the people not to shoot us before we get there? Yeah. Like that. Um, okay. I mean, if if you're right, then the by not going into the top, you can't really take the helmet off the way Jenny would do with her max then. Yeah, it'd be hard to to 
get it up there without um, setting off alarms. Let's see. Okay. Take off your undershirt and wave it like a white flag. So good. Also but, good. But it makes sense too, though. I mean, if he's kind of disoriented from like coming out of his other personality, which stole the Mac suit, is just like maybe not thinking the clearest. Uh, and that's kind of what he says. You know, the truth is, I don't know what happened. I must have had another one of my blackouts. And she's like, Travis, you're impossible. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. <laughs> uh, <so> yeah, <laughs> they, they don't get along, which I kind of like uh, from a story perspective. Like, they're not just buddies all of a sudden. They they were thrown together in this kind of crap situation. And he's the one who kind of jumped out of the plane. And she might be resenting that she followed him in the first place. Yeah, that'll... Uh... Few weeks of uh, sitting in Afghanistan will make you regret a lot of things. Like, yes, yes, it was a few days, probably. Geez, um, but anyway, uh, so we, we had a quick cut back to um, you know, the government agency, I guess. Um, so, an isolated stretch of the Mediterranean coast, and so Mr. Roth, who was kind of behind this whole mess in the first place. Um, apparently has this woman like calculating the probability of what's going to happen. So like she's mathematically trying to figure out what Jenny's going to do in Afghanistan and looking at a computer with like a sine wave. It's <laughs> kind of funny. It's like, it's uh, real, very much the old, like, you know, the computer will do anything. Uh, like, yeah. The, the, I love some it, analyst yeah. somehow, whatever that means, who's looking at the probabilities and you're just kind of hand waving it there. Yeah, there was a there was a cool Superman issue of like the burn reboot where like a woman was like trying to figure out who Superman was, you know, using all the information available and stuff, which I think was done well. But this is just kind of a quick one off. I just think it's funny. Uh, it's like, oh, but there's a random factor. I didn't tell you. It's like, why would you give your not give your analyst all the information she needs? So he kind of explains a little bit about Jake Travis, but not really. Um, I'll give you the lowdown on Jake and why he could be such a unique asset to the agency. He's useful and is as useful in his way as Miss Swenson will be in hers. And speaking of Jennifer, <laughs> so, so he basically says nothing particularly helpful, but you know, he's kind of on top of the situation and wondering how they will get along. So nice job, Mr. Roth. Um, then we get a, a cut back to uh, what happened uh, when Travis commandeered the suit. So he basically hid in a tree, uh, which was from our cover, you know, jumped down on the thing, you know, pointed the gun to the weak spot. You know, so he speaks Russian, or at least his his alt evil alter ego slash, you know, uh, rough and tumble personality speaks Russian. So you're I, Oh, good. It, it's just like he's... He's pointing out the weak spot, but Jenny had just pointed that out to the Afghans like a minute ago, and I'm like surprised that he knows about it ahead of time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was either like she told everybody, which would make way more sense, or only him, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But anyway, and and that weak spot wouldn't have even hurt the soldier anyway, as we found. But <laughs> it says your max suit has a jelly spot, comrade, right here. Like, is that because he can't speak Russian perfectly? And then... <laughs> that would make more sense. You, uh, yeah, 
the, anyway, so that's military think, lingo. It's beyond me. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the jelly spot. Everyone knows what that means. Hoorah! Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he gets the guy to come out of the suit. Um, so he kind of hops out, puts his hands up, and he basically starts harassing him um, because he wants to fight him. So you know, there's some dialogue there, but um, the he basically annoys the Russian soldier until he pulls a knife and kind of comes at Slash, we'll call him, Jake Travis, um, and, which is exactly what he wanted. He didn't want to shoot him. You know, I've got an itch, and it's the sort of itch I was never able to scratch with a forty-five. Like He'd rather just maim him. So basically throws him down, breaks his arm, chucks him off to the side, and, and leaves him there. Um, and again, that's that's uh that's our uh second personality you know being kind of rough and and then we cut back to jake travis himself uh monologuing to a dog uh, about you know so okay so it came back to him this morning you know so he he can eventually kind of remember what he did or at least parts of it um but uh yeah so he he's not having the best time but so so it goes. Nobody likes Jake Travis, I guess. Not even Jake Travis. Well, anyway, um, so soon, you know, we cut to Jenny, uh, who you know, again was maybe kind of peering around the corner, listening to Jake's inner monologue there. Um, but they've taken apart this Max suit, and what it looks like, they basically stripped it of everything. It looks kind of like a hollow shell now, all splayed out on the ground, and. What they're saying is that what they want to do is, um, you know, use it as sort of a trap, right? So use the components for some kind of surprise weapon. Um, and she says, you know, if I break it, if I break the motors, we're sunk. But then Jake's like, enough with the negative vibes, Jen. If you're going to pull this off, you need a positive attitude. It's like, okay, sure thing, psycho killer guy. Okay. <laughs> and so they argue, oh, go ahead. Now, tra- Trojan horse uh, reference there. Yeah, the he's like, uh, even we know the fable which warns of Greeks bearing gifts and the Trojan horse. It's like, yeah, the, this was part of the uh, area of Alexander the Great's conquest, I think. So, yeah, they, they trace themselves back that far or something. But, anyways. But yeah, so they don't get along, they argue some more. You know, you've done enough to screw things up, Travis. It's like, no, you screwed up. No, you screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you beat up and killed. You left the Russian for dead. We needed that guy. Uh, so I'll go get him. And I was like, no, Donjit already got him. So they've got the Russian soldier with the broken arm. And they tried to kind of fix him up. So apparently they need him for the plan uh, for some reason. Um, and again, Jenny's sort of perhaps a little irrationally annoyed that he hurt their enemy soldier and left him on the side, but he was shooting, shooting at him for all she knew. And then just like two minutes later, Oh, he broke his arm. What a brute. And also if she wasn't expecting him to go and get a max armor and so she had no idea that that's what he left to do. Then like, how would he have known that they needed that soldier? Cause they didn't have the plan. Cause there was no yeah. plan to get the max armor. I don't know. Jenny, we've been here three weeks. Don't you have a plan yet? Oh, just <laughs> No, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's she's spending the next 24 hours 
putting together a makeshift sonic disruptor out of the spare parts I cannibalized from other components. Um, I don't know what the hell a sonic disruptor is, but she's, I mean, they completely disassembled this max armor for, I, I can't quite tell what reason, like they're just going to put it back together again to hide him in it or something. And you're like, why didn't you just leave it alone in the first place? It was in one piece. When you well, I guess I guess she needed the parts. Like, so maybe she's got like no electronics and stuff. So you know, maybe she took apart the weapons and took apart some of the mechanics of it and kind of left it with barely enough to walk. But so I mean, that feels like a Jenny Swenson thing to do. Like, you know, she can take this thing apart and turn it into something cool, um, a sonic disruptor, if you will. <laughs> but anyway so um so they need information from the captured russian who jake had injured um she basically said you know keep travis away from him like we don't trust travis so keep him away from the prisoner um i like that she she's saying the rebels meanwhile were putting some sodium pentothal they'd stolen from a soviet supply truck to good use she's like yeah don't uh don't be such a uh you know jerk travis anyway go drug up the guy and and uh, torture him for people okay go <laughs> sodium pentothal you mean sodium 5 ethyl 5 penta 2 o2 diazinane 4-3 or 4-6 dion <laughs> that's the one that's the one I got the little structure of it written on my notebook because I was curious. Okay. I, I butchered that a little bit in trying to go too fast, but uh, but yeah. So yeah, they're they're gonna drug the guy up with uh, movie truth serum, uh, sodium pentothal. Pentothal um, it was like an early anesthetic, so it's really more, if anything, used to kind of put people out. Um, but in lower amounts, it's kind of a barbiturate. So, you know, it's kind of like getting someone drunk. Uh, but, yeah, but there's no magic. Or their uh, inhibition or something. Yeah. There's there's no magical way. Like, it doesn't force them to not lie. It just the idea is maybe it would be harder for them to lie if they're kind of out of it. Um, it might be harder for them to give complicated and useful information also. But... Uh. Really, yeah. any drug would work in this in some ways. Potentially, yeah. The drug and the guy up. Um, we'll see. <laughs> um, so that night, you know, as they're guarding the prisoner, somebody knocks out the guard, you know, scares our Russian, um, and it's Travis. So apparently he's, he's broken in uh, to interview slash interrogate the... Uh, the Russian soldier his way. He says, you've been shot up with enough pentothal, comrade, to make most men rat on their mothers. Uh, even so, you won't give the location of your secret max base. Though um, really, if he had, if they gave him more, he would have just fallen asleep. Right. right and right. more after that, he would have just died. But anyway, they're not chemists. <laughs> they didn't have Wikipedia at that, time, at that point either. So... Um, but anyway, so yeah, he put the gun right in the guy's eye, <laughs> uh, gets and, him to and tell him the secret. It's actually is... right here. The so I'm thinking to myself, slash maybe this red has built up. So he, I think to myself, oh, that's slash. The slash mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. 
So he, he really has his own personality. We don't really get to learn much about Slash. It's because it's all from sort of the Jake Travis perspective. Um, yeah, but yeah, good catch. <laughs> but yeah, he's pointing the thing right, the barrel right down the poor guy's eye as he's kind of holding him by the hair and menacing him. Say, I'll tell you what you want. It's in the Rymer Canyon, concealed behind the North Face. Um, and then Swenson comes up and clobbers uh, Travis. So she basically comes up from behind gives him the old like gi joe karate chop to the face and knocks him unconscious which apparently you can do <laughs> you lessons really with do sensei that. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay. so the mistreatment of slash jake uh, begins it's in no wonder state. he has mental problems he's getting hit on the head in like every issue yeah <laughs> oh so she was spying on him or keeping it under observation. You know, she knew this would happen, but now we got the information. We can proceed. <laughs> and then poor Jake, this page 17 is the worst. And he kind of wakes <laughs> up and it's Jake Travis. And he's like, I don't remember what happened. Oh, you're in the mech suit? You got it working? It's like, yeah, thanks for your help. He's like, oh, well, good job. You know, girls got to do what a girl's got to do. No hard feelings. And he like kisses the suit, like... <laughs> We're good. And then she smashes him in the face and knocks him out again just after he woke up. Poor guy. Oh, CTE, I guess. Yeah. Um, and just to continue the the uh, G.I. Joe stuff, uh, Lady J to Denji. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's I did oh, have a note days. on that one. Lady J, what the heck? <laughs> doing that on purpose yeah probably yeah uh, so she smashed travis on the head and knocked him out immediately immediately after he woke up from being knocked out by jenny um this time for really no good reason she's basically carrying his unconscious body to the afghan base uh and even the afghans are like oh well you know clearly the man was injured right that's no fake injury there like his, his face is caved in <laughs> well it, uh, on panel, it's it's not too impressive, actually, which is kind of funny because he's got like a little tiny round raised spot on his cheek or whatever. But I, I like it better that like his face is so mangled by Jenny that like, I'm like all right, well, he's not faking it. <laughs> this guy's wrecked. Uh, it's been several then, hours later. So. Yeah, just, he's not woken up. Um but yeah, so they think that it's the Russian soldier has returned and they're, and they're wondering why he's not communicating. But, you know, they buy it because of the injured Travis. Um, and then the, the Soviets are in this like underground computer bunker or something. Which a lot of strange uh, equipment, basically, uh, which I think is kind of hilarious. But um, they open the hatch and they're also hidden in, a, in the side of a cliff face. So... I mean, they were very openly occupying Afghanistan. Like they had cities, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's yeah, like but secret it, war. Yeah. This is totally Cobra. Like you know, like the the rocky panel lifts up with some hydraulics, and so like the secret entrance to the Max base. Uh, like, oh, well, we better get this Max armor in, and to uh, talk to him and interrogate this American before we kill him and such. Um, and then Travis wakes up. And he's got some kind of weird, like, 
ink gun or something. So he shoots it at the face of the Max armor, which Jenny's in, you know, for this Trojan horse thing. Um, and so then it looks like it just covers it with black stuff. Um, and the, the Russians squid, are the squid gun, yeah, squid gun, yeah. And the Russians are so impressed by this, and they're like, "Oh well, you know, we better get that weapon that can take out the Max suit, this ink gun." <laughs> oh, the Americans must be testing some kind of new anti-Max technology. Like, you know, we don't care about the guy; we just want that technology. <laughs> so they go rushing out. Um, sending out more max suits from their secret bond cave. Um, but then a bunch of steam and kind of smoke comes up uh, again. They're not perhaps not as suspicious as they should be. Um, the big smoke cloud comes up. So the Russians in their max suits basically drag the max suit in. So the, the one that Travis was being carried by and is now all inked in the face. Uh, but they, they think they're, their fallen soldier Yuri is still in there, so you know, maybe they can question him. Um, the weapon is gone, the American is gone, so Travis and his ink gun of amazement has escaped, uh, and they don't bother to look for him either, I guess. Oh well. Um, so yeah, they, they figure they can question Yuri, you know, so they bring the Mac suit in, prop it up, uh, crank it open. Um, and they're like, hey, it's empty. Like, what? Things can't move on their own. It's man amplified armor, not a robot. Man, man <laughs> amplified needs to be amplified by man. See you. Yeah, I mean, it would be unrealistic to have a robot that could do this. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, its true purpose was camouflage. So, so they they start to recognize maybe it was a trap, the smoke. Uh, the suit, you know, the American got away. How did Jake Travis n- know what was going on, though? Like, did they he just must have the... woken up on the trip because they said it was hours later. So I guess was faking the He's sleep, if not out. his injuries. They were counting <laughs> on him to wake up from his multiple brain injuries, and then like, here, take this ink gun, and then when I give the signal, <laughs> oh, so yeah, something. Uh, the Russians are on to it, like, oh, it must be a trap. And like, hey, there's something new in this mech suit that it's got wires and a timer on it and <laughs> looks a little suspicious. <laughs> like, it's a bomb, you idiots. Diffuse it. That's an order. <laughs> and boom, it, it blows up in their faces. Um, Cobra Commander, no! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cobra Commander, Destro, Tomax, and Zaymont, they're all done for. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It there just gets a... better from here. It does. This can't be happening. Uh, so it blows up. So who is saying no, this can't be happening? Is that Jenny then? Um, I thought it was like the general. No, you're right. It's it's not in Russian. Yeah, I think that's Jenny. So yeah, you're right. The whole secret base and all of the Russians and presumably most of the Max suits get blown up. And she's like, this is just supposed to be a sonic disruptor. It's only supposed to immobilize, not decimate the stronghold. And Danjeet's like, oh, well, uh, we swapped it out for a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Before you woke up, we switched it. Literally, like, she spent the whole day working on the sonic disruptor. Okay. (laughs) And they just stuff it full of weapons from it for explosives. Did they leave the sonic disruptor in there, too, then? Like, did they also blow up the sonic disruptor? 
I total waste of time. Yeah. I, they're, they're here because at the top of twenty one, it's saying it appears to be some sort of sonic emission device, and that mm. there's also something uh, that's a bomb that's attached to that. Uh, so, so they it, put a bomb on the sonic emission device. Yeah, they try to sneak it past Jenny. That's a weird thing. I mean, <laughs> well, she doesn't want to kill the soldiers that are trying to kill them because you know. Mm-mm. You just cold-bloodedly murdered every soldier in that stronghold, Danjeet, and I was an accomplice. <laughs> Jake or Slash is, get off Danjeet's case, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Afghanistan is a combat zone, remember? It's kill or be killed in this kind of conflict. In a war, there is no code of honor. Only those who survive and those who don't. That's probably Slash speaking, yeah. That's a uh, Geneva Convention. Would like a word with you there, uh, Travis. <laughs> Sonic disruptors are illegal, as it turns out, but bombs are not. <laughs> so uh, later, Travis and I survived all right, and the Soviet Max invasion was neutralized. So I guess that's all of the Maxes, uh, at least for the present. No surprise then that Roth had arranged a return flight for us back to the agency's home base. I was angry about what Jake had said, but why did his words sting so much, I asked myself. (laughs) Unless deep down I knew they were true, despite our illegal abductions, despite my loathing for Edmund Roth, and even despite my mixed feelings for Jake Travis, who by now now I suspected was one truly disturbed man, plagued by at least two multiple personalities. Somewhere deep down, I knew our mission had, in the end, had accomplished genuine good. <laughs> good luck with that one, Jenny. <laughs> the problems in Afghanistan are solved. <laughs> okay, we can call this one a success and go home. <laughs> success yeah. of your mission, though. So, so Roth is happy, though. He's got a file folder. Your mission success is verified what my gut instincts told me some time ago. Both of you have the makings of first-class operatives. I want you to study these files. They will fully brief you on every facet of the new division we would like the two of you to head up. Uh, He's a confident man, I guess. Uh, We want to enlist your special skills in our efforts to neutralize such terrorist organizations as COBRA. I mean, the club. Uh, I trust the Afghanistan episode has made you both realize how imperative it is to mount a counteroffensive against the enemy and their stolen max technology. Two of you could become the most valuable deterrence our government has to combat this menace. <laughs> Codename Spitfire. Or, sorry, Jenny says, Codename Spitfire? Codename Spitfire, Jennifer. Codename Spitfire. Sort of grows on you, doesn't it? Codename Spitfire. Codename Spitfire. You said Codename Spitfire, dear. Uh, uh, People are certainly talking a lot about this Codename Spitfire. Yeah, what was the name in this issue? Like this extra title? Uh, Codename something. I have to go look it up because they're going to... Our new title and a new direction and all new thrills. Oh, the first title is... The new title is the first clue and the new direction for the series. Codename Spitfire. Codename Spitfire. So, th- so that, so Roth's like mathematician, like running the probabilities, must be really good. <laughs> like, otherwise, the idea of just taking, uh, you know, 
a split personality with some combat skills and an MIT professor and dropping them in Afghanistan and just assuming that that's going to solve all of your problems and then also become like secret agents for you. I'm like that's a bold move. I guess it works feels, though. Feels more like, yeah, we uh, we're tired of using good agents who, who had other uses. So we threw these two, you know, who they could both get killed and we wouldn't care less. So anyway. Oh, you're back. Hey, good. Good for you. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find a desk job for you around here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, she was more successful than Mark Hazard. Yeah. The uh, that decoy plan, I guess, didn't quite cut it. I mean, like I said, it's been a long, long time since I've read the new universe. And I just have this like vague memory of everything sort of ending in afghanistan at some point or another uh, yeah so it's like you know we've had two if, or three books now going through. I, wonder if, I wonder if carrie bates ever wrote for cartoons because like these two are very cartoony you know like you got the karate chop the secret stone wall you know and knocking people out and all these secret plans and yeah it's i don't know I think this is like before Iron Man's Armor Wars um, sort of series of things where, you know, his trying to stop people from using his technology became the thing. So, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the direction we're going plus spy stuff. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Still waiting to see if we get a new max suit i mean like that conceit would have been would have maybe made more sense of why the government wants her right not because of her indiana jones skills to like take on the russians all by herself but you know hey she could build us some cool stuff yeah so maybe if they're like you know this will rope her in as she sees what her father's technology is doing to the world and then hopefully she doesn't die um and then she can become part of our team and build all these cool suits maybe yeah i mean that's the thing the way they set her up is that like they keep trying to push her into the front but when like her skills are set to be like supporting cast so yeah it's that's a hard line to walk we needed a montage i think of like the afghans teaching her all these things and like running them through like a little training camp and here's how to shoot and all that kind of stuff that would have made a lot more sense than her being like expert at every form of combat and such right now yeah i mean the idea that like she's been in boston you know doing rifle you know sniper rifle training and uh you know horseback riding and everything a bit much yeah yeah, like if, if we played up her up as like a quick learner, you know, and she excels at everything she does. And, you know, we already had a, a month skip, right? Three weeks later kind of thing. So needed the montage. That would have been the most 80s way to do it, I think. You know, like moment where she's tying on the headband, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, I I could also imagine like a thing where she's, because her her what she does with her technical skill is so limited here, like, she tries to put a sonic disruptor into the thing, but then they just fake her out anyway. And it's like, well, apparently Danjeet and uh, Travis could have done this all themselves. So what was the point of the... Mm, yeah. It's like if she had sort of whipped it together and like 
reconfigured um, the Max Armor into you know its own um, better version and and gone toe to toe with them or something. I don't know. Um... Or, even if you like disassembled it and made them all troubleshooters, all the Afghan rebels with mini Maxes, strong arms lives again. <laughs> yes. So that's actually pretty funny. And, you know, you know, maybe it was the lasso and the horse in the beginning that made me just think Indiana Jones immediately and fighting Russians and stuff. But I remember one of the like, kind of funny criticisms or things people noticed about like the Indiana Jones and like the Raiders of the Lost Ark was like, you know, Indiana Jones wasn't necessary like he was there as a story but in the end if the if all the nazis had gotten the ark and opened it up they all would have died anyway like which is kind of what happens in the end kind of thing so like you know he didn't really accomplish anything because they just no matter what they got it and they and they killed them yeah but like jenny wasn't really necessary to this story right so if if travis was there he could have gotten the suit and she would have knocked him out a few less times, but they didn't need her to take it apart, really. They just needed to put a bomb in it. Yeah, so it kind of, again, plays against her. So, yeah. yeah. At least she's not in prison. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're um, spending enough time in Afghanistan, you would probably, that would be a hard, tough decision to make. Prison? Afghanistan prison <laughs> Afghanistan. yeah um yeah I don't know there are various like weird moral dilemmas that she sort of puts on herself and then everyone else sort of walks around the whole like you know we didn't kill the soldier oh you were so like brutal to him the soldier right I had to at least incapacitate him I don't know what you want but then you know like I was just going to incapacitate everyone in there. Oh, you killed them all using my thing. Oh, thanks. I'm glad we we had this talk, Jane Tenji. You've shown me something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that could have been done a lot more interestingly if we were talking about, like, you know, if she was just really uncomfortable with killing in general, I think that would make a lot of sense, right? Rather than the kind of, like, moralizing it a little bit too heavily. Right? Because she, again, she's a college professor who's smart. She, she should not feel at home in a war zone, desert, third world country. You know, so like if she saw the Max suit killing some kids or something, and you know that kind of steeled her resolve, but she still wasn't quite ready to, you know, bomb somebody. She's still not really comfortable with killing, but she understands that it's kind of important, and you know, maybe it would have been a little better setup. Yeah, yeah, where she's like that nice page with the long shot view of the maxes attacking a village. If that was like, I've met these guys and oh, here's a cute kid. And I don't know anything about any bocce bozzy. I don't know what you're talking about there, kid. But anyway, the, um, uh, you know, you, you, and suddenly the maxes attack and you, you're like, ah, this is terrible. And, you know, yeah, that would be like a little more like um, getting inside her head there. And, yeah like she learns to shoot from the afghans or something but she's never shot a person right so you know maybe she goes out of her way to kind of incapacitate things and figures out 
a, a genius way around it so she can take out the mech's armor without killing the guy in it kind of thing and like playing up that angle i think would have been nice so like there's some useful bits there i guess but yeah i think i'm still kind of i mean a spy thriller is good except you you always end up with this like super acrobat slash martial artist version of a spy instead of like you know someone who who sort of infiltrates and in, uh, something and is you know smart and sneaking around and that sort of you know more ninja like um so i mean again it's it's yeah she's smart but what what is it about her that needs to be in this situation okay so it's her father's max armor and she's the world's expert on it uh, i don't know if you've kind of put all those pieces together in a, in a pleasing way yeah. uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, if the club has been selling Max Armor all over the world and we'll have like a few more variations on this, you know, if, if they have like more clever responses to it, that could be okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Way, ways to have improved it, I think. And uh, yeah, I think I mentioned it, like, but I mean, this did give me really serious Metal Gear Solid Five vibes. It was actually set in Afghanistan, and there's kind of com- you don't really actively help the Afghans per se, but there's combat between them and the the Russians occupying. Uh, you know, so you're kind of doing covert military ops. There's a captured scientist in there who gives the Russians these like walking robot leg kind of technology that they you eventually come across kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's you know lots of psychological issues kind of stuff in the characters. So you know, yeah. if if anyone listening to this has in fact played that game, you might see those sort of connections. It just needs uh, a deadly virus and maybe some nano machines, and you got yourself a a game there. Hmm. Yeah, sounds good. I always think of uh, Merc in connection with Metal Gear, but. Uh... I think, think I haven't played five, so it would have been really awesome if like there was some crossover here, like even just like a name drop or a mention of like you know we heard of we heard of someone who was captured, I guess, but I guess he's in Iran now, right? Yeah, the stingers got up there, so if they'd have like seen the truck that uh, Lincoln and Mal were driving up, stingers, those brave freedom fighters. Uh, yeah, there's, I don't know, there's a, um, it's funny to have two books within like such a short time span in the same spot, like on the other side of the world there. So yeah, that would have been cute. Yeah. And they could have been like, like the rebels could have been holed up in like an old abandoned air base that star brand Ken Connell trashed too. Right. It's like. Right, right. There was a, like when he went through and trashed a couple of fighter jets or something. Yeah. yeah. If they were shooting at some guy on a horse, maybe that was Danjeet. Maybe. Hmm. We'll put it all together at some sooner or later. Some kind of master plan. <laughs> Finally get some uh, interviews. So did you guys have a master plan? No, not at all. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. I'm, I'm thinking that's definitely more likely the case but 
Yeah. I think, and then it might have been this point, like they all have different uh, editors too, right? So it's not like under one editorial group. I think it's there's uh, one guy who did who did four titles, and then the other four titles were individual editors. Um, yeah, and it was like Higgins was doing. So the, the Starbrand is doing is Higgins. Bob Harris was doing Spitfire, and then Merck was definitely a guy like Larry Hama. Yeah, and. Uh, I can't remember the others off the top of my head. Yeah, so, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, at least half of them. I think that like four books sounds like it was already like plenty for one editor to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, you're writing you... heard on like a half dozen people for each book. Yeah, trying to make sure things are on schedule. So, should we talk about the movie casting? Yeah, I guess this will have to wrap us up with the movie casting we may revisit it at some point later to to give uh oh we haven't we haven't graded the issue though oh right okay i i i can't separate it too much from star brand again this falls a little bit in the so bad it's good kind of category for me in terms of what i enjoyed from it um so i'm, I'm sticking with the c I'm gonna go down to C plus, which uh, again it feels generous, but um, it's a uh, yeah, it's a little less, you know, episodic than the Star Brand, but it's feels like you know at this point we've been riding along with Spitfire for quite a while, and they just either don't give her something to do or undercut her when they, when they do. And it's like, okay. Um, we're, we're not anywhere near like blazing robot on robot action that I would like to see. Yeah. Where's the new suit? <laughs> A new suit. Yeah. Issue sure. 10. The last one was destroyed in issue four. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, the the casting we can make up for that by casting a great actress as Jenny Swenson, <laughs> or see. someone whose name I had to look up. <laughs> you didn't re- re- recognize her right off the top. No, because you were just talking about Indiana Jones. I know, so right? <laughs> like it worked out perfectly. <laughs> so yeah, the Herb Trimpey was listed as Spitfire penciler. Uh, chose Karen Allen, uh, who was in fact the uh, lead actress, I guess, or the second character in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, and I think Ellie. she showed up in another movie, but yeah, she's a she was a, had a had a, a few back then. She's Starman. Um, I forget. I like um, to look up the ones that they were in most recently <laughs> to these books, and it said in 1986. She was in the movie Terminus, which is some kind of German or Italian sci-fi-ish kind of flick. It looked weird. Don't remember that one at all. Definitely not an American film. Let's see. So she's 30-something. It's not too bad, but yeah, she's yeah, Starman 1984. She's like a she's like a 
alien arrives and takes over her dead boyfriend's body. Um, yeah, it's an oh, she was in Animal House. I forgot. Pretty young. Um, yeah, I don't know. She's good at like perky and strong-willed female, so that works. Um, I was going to go. Sigourney Weaver for like yeah. the aliens um, look where she's like, oh, let me get some robot armor here and go toe to toe with this, like whatever. Um, perhaps a little old at the time. Um, neither of them really redheads. But, um, yeah, I think that's okay because, you know, you can dye hair and have wigs. <laughs> yeah. I think today, if you were to do it today, she's like a, an obvious. Um, her name the black widow girl uh, oh scarlet johansson, scarlet johansson yeah, yeah. but uh, you have someone who who can really play smart um i think those those all work do you have yeah one? i didn't have my own casting for that one I, I struggled to come up with somebody of the era um i thought about but wasn't quite happy with sigourney weaver um and maybe the hang-up was just kind of like visually kind of looking for the hair. But there wasn't really like a lot of action movie 80s actresses, you know? Very limited in, for, for, yeah. Maybe that's why, maybe the 80s is just a hard time to imagine a female action star for everybody. And that's why they're struggling with doing it in this book. But yeah. I'd uh, give give a little thought to some of the uh, troubleshooters who I didn't bother with uh, Jake Travis though. So yeah, fair. I'll throw out uh, for Eddie Giotti, Matt Dillon. Okay. For something that's good look. So for Teresa, uh, I was thinking Radon Chong for for that. Okay. I think she's like you know like attractive and personable, which and more. Teresa is a little sort of like a more like a black exploitation film heroine, but I think as like a young uh, person in MIT, Radon would be a good fit. And then, unfortunately, the other uh, troubleshooters never made enough of an impression to really get a feel for. So I'll throw out Andrew McCarthy and James Spader, okay. guys who were at the time. And then Steelhawk, I think Dolph Lundgren or Reb Brown would have worked for that. <laughs> sort of a cheesy, over-the-top 80s action movie guy. Yeah, I, I, I would have kind of liked that. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, who would be Travis? Okay, okay, maybe we'll come back to this someday. Yeah, I don't really have a good feeling for Travis. Maybe we'll still... We'll, uh... I'll tell him off at some point. Get out of here with your, your. It would be cool to have like someone who was typically known for playing like a real nice guy. Like, so they could really play up that kind of like, hey, this is a really friendly, personable, chatty kind of dude. So that when he flipped into slash mode, then like it was kind of uh, jarring. Yeah, yeah, that would be. But yeah, I don't have act, that. acting range, yeah. I don't have that in my head, but let me throw out one last thing because I don't know if we'll ever see the troubleshooters again. Mm -hmm. One last thing was that the uh, I realized that 
what's his name? Andy? No. Tim got his legs cut off. Yeah. He literally had like the beginnings of bionic legs in, in fastball. Right. So he could have been working on reconstituting them with the max technology. And if the others had like hurt themselves instead of died, ditto. So just a thought, like if we were, if there was a chance of bringing back troubleshooters at some point in the new universe, you could imagine them being even more cyborgized. Yeah. And, and if, if Roth really wanted someone who had it out for the club, like who more than these troubleshooters whose lives were destroyed by them, you know? Oh, there you go. You got, yeah. I mean, it would have, you know, it would have been cool, but even if Jenny had kind of relied on them in the background instead of putting them into missions kind of thing, and like, you know, they have all this cool technology and skill set and such, but. Well, as I've learned, uh, you can't, it's hard to tell even your own children what to do, so. <laughs> Indeed, that is true. All right, so that that's that completes the movie casting. But that was kind of a fun aside for sure. Oh, this has been a fun month for those. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's fun to look back at the '80s movie. Whatever. Uh, what's available? Who's there? Who do we still remember? Yeah, and maybe maybe we'll get a new universe news next time. So. I mean, that should probably be it for this week's episode, but next time we've got... I'll be looking at Night Mask number 10. Night Mask embarks on an unorthodox background check through the dream world of his friend, Dr. Lucian Ballad, and discovers a terrifying hidden world of superstition and death in Voodoo in Washington, written by Roy and Dan Thomas, penciled by Mark Bagley, and inked by Tony DeZuniga. Or short version. So what's the story behind Lucian beginning this issue? You're going to find out. I guess the story is a terrifying hidden world of superstition and death. Wow. That's uh, looking dark. Good. We've been in his dreams before, too. Yeah, it's like a showgirl from the Copacabana or something. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And next week, Cyforce number 10. Uh, the teenage Cyforce secretly visits the reservation of their murdered mentor, Proudhawk, to learn from his grandmother the purpose of the mysterious Cyhawk. Hmm. Uh, what they discover is more than what they bargained for. Written by Danny Fingeroth, penciled by Rod Wiggum. Um, and then the short one, which actually gives us slightly more detail, or one added detail. Uh, Cyforce number 10, meet Proudhawk's grandmother, an Indian mystic, because all Native Americans are mystics. Uh, as the kids try to find out the true nature of Cyhawk. Mm. Okay, well, that sounds... I mean, we've been hoping for something like that for a while. Yeah, I think that picks up on a thread from the end of uh, when they battled in Alcatraz. They're like, what should we do next? I'm like, hey, don't you remember? Proudhawk has a grandmother. Let's go find her. Yeah, yeah, they were like, where do we even look? I don't know. We'll have to go do some research. This is ancestry.com wait nope we don't have that yet well anyway so that's it for today 
uh, kickersinc.com. Check us out. You know, send us an email, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com if you've got ideas for our new slogan. And we'll see you back at the spinner rack next time. Bye.